Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers on mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos. Luke 5, 17, 26. One day, Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, They went up on the roof and lowered him down on his mat through the towels into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their feet, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say. Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mats, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Okay. um, Just in case you are joining us for the first time or you are just joining us online, uh, my name is Tomela Iwaju. I'm one of the guys on the preaching team here in City Church. about two weeks ago, we started this new series, Conversations with Jesus, and um, Pastor preached a sermon two weeks ago um, about how Jesus can be strange. And last week, Toki preached, and we learned how Jesus cannot be bought. Now, the whole idea of this sermon series is this, that there's a way you can get to know somebody better by, the, by reason of conversations they are having. So by observing the things they say, or in the circumstances surrounding, the, surrounding them when they actually say what they say, or the things they didn't say when we expect them to say certain things, right? So this is this way we are trying to get to know Jesus even when it seems like Jesus doesn't have us in view. Like we're trying to sort of like peep into a conversation that Jesus is having. So um, somebody gave this analogy like, um, he said, if you want to know what is really living in your basement, if you have a basement, I know most of us don't, but if you want to know what's really living in your basement, you don't approach the basement door stomping your feet all the way to the place. I know that's what we do because you don't want to miss those things, right? But again, that's not the way to know what is really in your basement. If you want to know those people that are your co-tenants, the way you do it is you simply just open the door suddenly. Then you will find them, right? What we are trying to do is sort of open the door suddenly to Jesus' conversations and get to, in a way, catch him on our ways when Jesus doesn't know we are looking. want to see what these conversations are going to reveal about Jesus. And um, in Luke, that we're going to be discussing, in Luke chapter 1, Luke says something, um, verse 3 and verse 4. 
Luke says, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So this is where I want to go. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So what's supposed to happen is, as Theophilus is reading the book of Luke, or when he gets to Luke chapter 5 that we have before us, he's supposed to be more certain about who the person of Jesus is. He's supposed to be more certain about how amazing Jesus is. He's supposed to be more certain about the divinity of Jesus. And that's where the problem is. Because if Jesus is divine, there is no amount of words that could conjure up to fully describe what is indescribable, except the Holy Spirit comes upon these words that I'm actually going to speak to you. But except the Holy Spirit enables you to also receive, what I'm going to say is also going to fall flat. Um, the children of Israel on their way to the promised land in the Bible, um, the Bible said that they were, they, were, they, were, they were thirsty, they needed food, and God brought water out of a rock for them. Paul comments on this and said, and this water, they used it to feed themselves and their animals. Paul commented on this and said, they drank the spiritual drink. Right, so the Israelites drank a spiritual drink, but the animals for them it was just water. So it is possible for the word of God to come, and for some of us it to be spiritual drink, and for others to just be water. Except God actually empowers us to receive the word of God the right way. Can we pray together for this? Oh God, we believe you have something to say to us. We believe you have spiritual drink to give to us. Help us, O oh God, to receive this nourishment. Help us, O oh God, that to us, it will not just be normal water, but it is a spiritual drink that edifies us, spiritual drink that transforms us, that empowers us, that changes us in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name we've prayed. Amen. 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 All right. So, um, quick background. Quick background. So, Luke wrote the book of Luke, obviously, right? And then he starts the story by talking about Zechariah and Elizabeth, who were a couple who gave birth to John the Baptist and also talks about Mary who gave birth to our Lord Jesus Christ and Jesus they said Luke said grew up in wisdom in favor with God and with man Jesus get baptized by John that's why it's called John the what the Baptist right so Jesus get baptized by John the Spirit of God comes upon him we get to Luke chapter 4 the Spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness where he's tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. And um, he overcame those temptations. And now he's about to start his public ministry. Luke chapter 4. And this is the first verse. This is the first verse commenting on the ministry of Jesus in Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Luke says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. This is the beginning of the ministry. And then again, if you observe ministry, it normally takes a period of time for you to actually get to a point where people can actually know you or news about you will begin to spread. But Jesus' ministry was not like that. It exploded right from the start. Everybody knew about Jesus. Oh, the story continues. Jesus eventually cast out a demon from a, from a person. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 36, Luke comments on this and he says, All the people were amazed and said to each other, What words these have? With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. Verse 37. And the news about him spread through the surrounding area. Luke is making a point. That this ministry that Jesus had was, an, was a ministry that was growing at an exponential rate. It was a bang. Everybody knew about it. In fact, the story that comes up after verse 37 is about how Jesus healed so many people. And the Bible said they wanted to keep him. And Jesus said, oh no, you guys should go back to your house. I need to go somewhere else. 
what this will mean in the 21st century is probably a city church will eventually move to the jewel and we do not have enough facilities to cater for people that are coming. Many people begin to come. I can almost imagine Pelu will have to stand in front of everybody and say, we are so sorry, we just couldn't contain all of you. Could you just register? Maybe on the third week we'll have slots for you. <laughs> That's the kind of ministry Jesus was having. It was growing. It was explosive. Again, Jesus eventually heals a leper in Luke chapter 5. And he tells the leper, he said, don't tell anybody. Only show yourself to the high priest. And in verse 15, Luke comments again. He said, yet the news about him spread all the more. So Theophilus is reading the book of Luke right now. He already has an idea in his mind. That the moment Jesus started his ministry, it was blowing. It was explosive. But I'm going to try and show us, based on the text that we have before us, that even though the ministry of Jesus had, was growing, even though people were beginning to know him, he was about to receive an upgrade in that ministry. In short, the ministry was about to bear all the more. Again, we see that in verse 17. How? One day, Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee for, and from Judea and Jerusalem. So because the news about him was spreading, the Pharisees and teachers of the law were now around to listen to him. This was the same thing as if, this, this is what, um, this is the same thing as if, um, maybe Emmanuel, Emmanuel wants to plant a church, glory to God. And uh, so Emmanuel plants um, city church mainland, right? No, no, again, Emmanuel wants better, so let's say city church Canada. Right? So, yeah. So, he goes to City Church, Canada, and in about a month, you might not say amen. Hey, my God. Anyways, it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. He doesn't want that. He wants, he wants mainland. Oh, Jebudi. Anyways. <laughs> anyways, anyways, anyways. Um, so, um, he plans the church, and one month in, or two months in, everybody knows about him. And then, guess what? One Sunday morning, the set man, Emmanuel, is about to preach. And he's about to preach. Guess who walks in? Enokadeboe. Timothy Keller. Um, John Piper. These are all great men of God. One thing you understand is this. If Emmanuel's ministry at that point was local, it's about to go what? Global. Things are about to upgrade. Why? Because these people who, were the, who are the best of the best have come to listen to him. The Pharisees were like that as well. The Pharisees were the 1% of the 1% of those that knew God. As at age 12, he wanted to be a Pharisee. Guess what? You would have crammed the Torah. Now, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. <laughs> Numbers. They cram it. Now, we all know when we are reading our Bible through the year, the year ends in one to Leviticus. That's all. We are done. Right? But these guys actually crammed it. They knew what the law says. They could interpret it. These were the guys that had come to meet Jesus. These are the guys, in a sense, the ministry of Jesus was about to get some verification, was about to get verified on Palestinian Twitter. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but these people were about to put a stamp of approval upon his ministry. They had come, listen to text. They said they had come from all the villages in Galilee, from Judea, and where? Jerusalem. Headquarters had sent them. Right, so they were. This was ministry was about to get approved. Everything will seem easy for Jesus. So this was an important meeting. Oh, you could almost imagine Peter is here. Peter is saying, "Oh, oh these guys are already around. We need to set things in place. We need to, you know, maybe Peter will do like Pelumi doesn't do this. Or Peter would. Peter would. If you just know the guy, he actually would. So Peter, would, imagine Peter going to meet um, a woman with a baby, and he probably, and he probably says, "We are so sorry, man. Could you just move to the back?" So that when your baby starts to cry, you not distract the Pharisees from listening to what Jesus has to say. Or if there are some other people that you don't want to associate with Jesus, like you probably say, please, can you move to the back? Someone like Tomo and all like will say, please, can you move to the back? Or go and do patrol, you understand? So that you not distract people. They're my friends, so it's all good. <laughs> so they're not distract people. 
from listening to what Jesus has to say. It was a very, very important conference, in short. Because people needed to hear and see that what they've said about Jesus was actually true. And so Jesus begins to teach. And we hear, boom. Now, I work with City Church, obviously. In case you didn't know, I do work with City Church. All right. And um, our greatest nightmare is you plan a program. Everything is going on fine, and suddenly you hear, boom. Not at the back of the hollow. Right here. Right. We can develop stroke, like just, oh my God, what's about to happen? This was, this was the same thing that was happening in this, in, this, in this particular meeting. Why? Because certain men, four friends, carried their friends. They wanted the friend to meet Jesus because he was paralyzed. And there was no way for that man to get to meet Jesus. So they climbed to the roof. And the text before us says, they let him down through the tiles. And that seems, uh, the roof was opened. That wasn't what happened. Though. The parallel story in Mark chapter 2 says, they dug through the tiles. Listen, they dug, another version says, they broke the tiles. So it was like there was, they were breaking it. So if things were going to drop, it's not dust. It's chunks of stone. I'm not talking about. I can almost imagine Peter is probably trying to push Jesus. Say, oh, Jesus, don't get interrupted by these people. Oh, Jesus, don't allow these people to affect you. But the Bible says something really profound. I think that's that, that in verse 19. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. I mean, Jesus didn't move. When the interruption was coming, Jesus welcomed it. He didn't escape the stones. He stayed there and allowed them to draw him down. I could almost imagine that Jesus had to stop Peter from actually injuring him from accepting this interruption. And this will lead to the title of my sermon. Jesus can be interrupted. Jesus can be interrupted. I will examine this under three headings. He is willing to be interrupted. He is willing to interrupt. And the third point, he is will, the greatest interruption. So I'll say it again. Point one, he is willing to be interrupted. Point two, he is willing to interrupt. And the third point, he is will, the greatest interruption. So, he is willing to be interrupted. Now, I spent so much time trying to establish the context here so that we can understand what's really going on. That when this man came to meet Jesus and Jesus was willing to be interrupted, it was quite ridiculous. Why? It was an important meeting. This is, um, these are the Pharisees were around, the, um, the teachers of the law were around, and Jesus was still willing to let go of them to pay attention to a stranger. Oh, the Bible described, maybe there's something really good about him. What does the Bible say about him? In verse 20, the Bible said, Jesus said to him, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. So he was a sinner. Now, pay attention carefully. All of us sin in one way or another. The children of Israel were also sinning. But this guy, he had sinned to a point. God was like, ah, your own is too much. Let's just paralyze him. He was the worst of the worst. And yet Jesus was willing to be interrupted because of him. It's quite silly. You could almost begin to ask that. Does Jesus have self-esteem issues? Maybe he was esteeming the guy more better than himself. Because again, the only reason why you will be willing to be interrupted from something that is very important to you is that you esteem the person that is interrupting you above what you're actually trying to do. Um, an example would be um, I remember one time, I, okay, the most important relationship to me right now, right, is my relationship with my girlfriend. Thank you. Thank you. So I was on a call with my girlfriend one day. I think we just had this fight. We just settled. Now, you know when you just finish settling a fight, that period is usually sweeter than normal, right? So I was enjoying myself. I was probably eating the floor. I was talking to her. I was feeling like a boss. And Pastor Femi calls me. He says, Tommy, I need to see you. I was like, <laughs> Babe, 
Only do Romy, my guarantor. <laughs> he needs to see me right now. I interrupted what was most important to me simply because I held him in high esteem. What was going on in this text is equal to if Pastor Femi is actually having meetings with world leaders, church leaders. And I just text him. And again, because I want to pull his leg, I want to be naughty. I say, Bros Femu, Kilum Pop, I want to see you. And Pastor Femi says, um, okay. Tim, that's Kellum. Enoch, that's Adeboe. John, that's Piper. I need to, you know, I need to see my friend. I'm coming. Just hold on. Just hold on. I'll be right back. He was willing to interrupt his own meeting because of that. That is ridiculous. You could almost begin to say that Jesus having self-esteem issues. But again, we know that Jesus doesn't have self-esteem issues. So why was he willing to be interrupted? Why was he willing to let go of this meeting that was very, very important to him for this sinner, this person that was facing the consequences of his own actions? The text provides a possible answer. In verse 20, the Bible says, Jesus, seeing their faith, said to, said to the man, friend, your sins are forgiven. So it could probably be because of the faith of his friends. You know, he was responding to their faith. And I'm saying, yes, that's true, but it doesn't matter the amount of faith I have in Pastor Femi. He's not going to obstruct that meeting because of me. There has to be something in Pastor Femi or something about him, a disposition he has towards me that will enable him to respond to the faith that I am actually releasing. And so again, the question becomes, what exactly is it about Jesus that is making him to be willing to be interrupted? I believe the answer is quite simple. It's love. Love. Let me explain this way. Um, many of us, when we're about to go to secondary school or university, especially if you have a Yoruba mother, they will call you and they want to advise you. They'll give you two major advice. Everything they want to say is under these two major advice. Um, the first one, so I was saying to Yoruba, I went to preach. Run to your she and she will put, they will put their hair like this so, so that you can understand better. That simply means remember the child of whose you are. And the second one is as equally, is equally as important as the first. They will say, Matel, you be real. Right? Meaning what? Don't follow a woman, and if you're a woman, don't follow a man. Why? Because there are reasons that you can have certain feelings and certain love, certain emotions that will cause you to be, to be willing to be interrupted from things that are actually more important to you. Um, when I was in school, there's something we used to call, we say, when I we say, does that girl have your mumu button? Because if that girl has your mumu button, you can stop class. Okay, I didn't. Toma, I don't know if Tomah did. Well, again, you can stop class simply because the woman actually wants something. It doesn't matter how good the woman is. In fact, most of the time, some of them were actually really bad girls, but it didn't matter because we loved them and so we were willing to be interrupted because of them. There was something in us. It was silly. It was stupid. It was the fact that we were willing to let go of what was most important to us simply because we loved. And this is the kind of love that the Bible is saying that Jesus has for the worst of sinners. He is willing to be interrupted. A kind of mumu love. Like a stupid love. I, can't, I don't know, maybe some of you remember the first time you discovered you were in love with your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend at this time. The way that love is explosive. I'm not talking about the kind of love you have after five years of marriage. It seems balanced now. Everybody's using their head. I'm talking about the kind of love you have in year one. Right? There's this story. I'm just joking. Calm down. Calm down. There's this story. Um, this couple, they got married year one. Everything was going on so fine. One particular day, the girl had, um, the lady had a terrible cold in the middle of the night. And so she was in the bathroom and she was just sneezing, mucus everywhere. Just really horrible. You see the husband, he ran with Anki. Oh my God, I'm so sorry, baby, sorry. Are you all right? Is your nose all right? Is your mucus okay? Is everything going on fine? You understand? It was all, it was all mushy. And on the fifth year, the same lady 
As a cold, and the babe calls, and the, and the guy calls from the room, babe. She said what? She said, shut the door. I'm trying to get some sleep. I'm not talking about those kinds of love. I'm talking about the love when it is still explosive. The love when it seems like it is all reckless. When it seems like it is stupid. The kind of love Jesus asked for us is the kind of love that will make him to constantly leave the 99 just to save you. It's the kind of love when we come to church and we are singing about all the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases us down, fights till we are found, and it leaves the 99. That's the kind of love that Jesus has for the sinner. How much more you that you have committed to Jesus? What kind of love does he ask for you? The psalm is pondering upon the kind of love Jesus has says. He said, when I consider the heavens, the work of your hands, I cannot help but ask, who is man that you are mindful of him? Who are we that Jesus is mindful of us? That Jesus will look at this man who is the architect of his own demise. Look at this man who is facing the consequences of his own actions right there. When he's facing the consequences, right there, Jesus looks at him and he says what? He says, friend. The parallel story in Mark chapter 2, Jesus didn't say friend. Jesus, Jesus said, son. This is profound because even right there in their sin, when they're still facing the consequences of their actions, Jesus looks at them and he says, son. They're not defined necessarily by the things that they have done. They're defined by what he, by what he says about them, the feelings that he actually has towards them. And this is profound to us. Why? Because most of the time, what happens when we actually fall into sin? Maybe you watched that porn site you didn't want to watch anymore. Maybe you snapped at your spouse or your kids like you decided not to do. Or any particular thing you are struggling with. Maybe you decided to watch Instagram videos for another two hours. And so you missed your devotion. And now you are feeling bad. And you are falling. What, the, what God is saying is, even in those instances, God is still looking at you. And he's saying, son, daughter. There's a this term, of endear, term of endearment there. Temba is he, he wants to be with you. He loves you. And the, the mistake that we all make, the deceit that the devil gives to us is this. Um, most of the time, when you fall, he convinces you that when you fall in, the battle is over. But actually, that's when the battle begins. Because when you fall in, what he tries to do is keep you on that bed of guilt, paralyzed. Keep you on that belt of depression, paralyzed, such that you will be unable to hear God say unto you, Son, daughter, but Jesus loves us. And this is the good news that the ultimate determinant of whether God responds to us, the ultimate determinant of whether we receive answers from God is not necessarily our faith. It is what he feels towards us. It is his love. Why? Because our faith can go up and down. But his love is faithful. It remains. Even when you don't seem to have enough faith, Jesus can still respond to you. That is the reason why one particular man came to meet Jesus. Jesus said, do you believe? He said, I do. Help my own belief. Even when there was unbelief, he was still confident that this man is a loving man. He can still respond to me. And that's the hope that we all have. That Jesus can respond to us because he loves. Again, like, like, I've, like I've been saying, it seems like Jesus um, is loving with his heart, but he's not really loving with his head. You know what I mean? It's kind of like a silly love, a stupid love, a reckless love. And most of the time, when we, when we think about this kind of love, it's not the kind of love we want to associate with Jesus. Because we want a kind of love where somebody is willing to be interrupted, but the person also has to be willing to interrupt us. And that will lead to the second point. He is willing to interrupt you. He is willing to interrupt you. Most of us have been to churches where you constantly just hear about God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, God is chasing you, God loves you. And the truth is, that's actually true. The problem is not in what they are saying. Problem is in what they are not saying. 
Because they are presenting a Jesus who is willing to be interrupted by you. But they are not presenting a Jesus who is still willing to interrupt you. They are not presenting a Jesus who will uphold, who demands righteousness, who demands holiness, who demands that you change your heart in repentance so you can respond to him well. And it's the same thing we find in the text. That even though Jesus is willing to be interrupted, Jesus is still willing to interrupt them. Again, let's go back to verse 20. Luke 5, 20. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. That should make you pause. Because the Bible didn't describe him as a sinner necessarily. He said he was paralyzed. So what this man came to meet Jesus for was not forgiveness of sins. What he came to meet Jesus for was for power, so he can get healed. He wanted the power of Jesus to be released into his life. So this man wanted the Jesus of power, but Jesus gave him right theology. He said, your sins are forgiven. Jesus gave him knowledge. Jesus gave him wisdom. This man wanted power. Jesus interrupted his way of thinking and said, I'm going to give you wisdom instead. But not just this paralyzed man. We also find out that the Pharisees, I think that's verse 21, said the Pharisees and teachers of the Lord began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So these ones were concerned about the right theology. They were concerned about knowledge. They were concerned about wisdom. They wanted the Jesus of wisdom. And Jesus says something in verse 24. He says this. He said, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. So they wanted wisdom. He gave them power. Most of the time in church, we are torn between these two camps. Some of us want the Jesus of wisdom, but not the Jesus of power. Some of us want the Jesus of power, but not the Jesus of wisdom. Jesus is willing to interrupt. Some of the time, we want those of us that want the Jesus of power. We want breakthrough. We want divine intervention. So we'll come for KPD, Kingdom Prayer Day. But we'll miss Theology Tuesday. Right? And for those of us that simply want wisdom, that want knowledge and want right theology, you will come for Theology Tuesday, but what we need to come for? You not come for KPD. But Jesus is saying is not any of these two. The Bible even reveals that for those of us that even want more wisdom, more right theology, what does Jesus do in verse 24? He says, so that you might know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He performs these miracles. Miracles, miracles are meant to authenticate the divinity of Jesus. Miracles were proving the fact that Jesus was divine. But there are about three major functions of miracles in the New Testament. So like I said in the text, the miracles actually prove the divinity of Jesus. But also, as we read on in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 4, the Bible said that God bore witness to the apostles in their message with various signs and wonders and gifts of the Holy Spirit as he gave utterance. So miracles were also meant to authenticate the message of the apostles. But thirdly, miracles were also basically gifts of the Spirit. That's what they were. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, the Bible says that the gift of the Spirit has been given for what? For the profiting of all. That is, miracles were good for the Corinthian church then. If the church still exists, we should still expect miracles even now. Miracles authenticate our message. The power of God authenticates our message. I remember one time I, I went for evangelism at the outskirts of Quara State. So the rural area. Note I said outskirts of Quara State. Not Ilarin. Outskirts of Quara State. All right. Um, it was a rural area, and we got there. It was a patriarchal society. It was a community. There was, there was a village square, literally, a village square. And um, there were huts around the place. And so before we could preach to people, we needed to meet with the men of the community. And so we're talking to the men. Our spokesman was talking to the person, to the men. And I was standing at the back with some of my friends. And the women were, stand, were just sitting in front of their huts. And I overheard one of the women saying, she said, 
I don't know if what they are saying is true, but I know that their God answers prayers. So she was willing to consider what we have come to say. Why? Because she felt that Jesus actually had power to undo our problems, to undo what she's going through. So, but again, most of the time, we want the Jesus of wisdom, we want the Jesus of power, but Paul himself is going to disagree with you. He's saying it is not either or, it is both and. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, the Bible says, to the Jews and to the Greeks, Christ, the what? The power of God and what? And the wisdom of God. It's not either or. It is both and. The problem with most of us is this. Those of us that want the Jesus of power, we want what is in Jesus' hands or don't want what is in Jesus' mind. And for those of us that want the wisdom of God, most of us want what is in Jesus' mind but we don't want what is in his hands. But the Bible is going to present a third way. They are not supposed to go for his mind or his hand. They are supposed to go for his heart because that's where love is. If I'm going to have a relationship with Jesus, that is where you go. Maybe this analogy is going to help further. Let's assume that Jesus is cake. Let's assume it's cake. It's cake. Let's also assume that there are two major components of cake. Flour and egg. I know there are more. But let's assume that it's just two. What happens is this. You have the flour to maybe say the Jesus of power. But you also have the eggs to say the Jesus of wisdom. If you eat them on your own, you will never taste the true sweetness of cake. Except they come together. That is only when we can then say concerning you. Taste and see. That what? That the Lord is good. That's the only way to experience God. If he is brought the power of God and the wisdom of God to us. But most of the time, because we have come up with our own God, this Jesus of power or the Jesus of wisdom. Again, for those of us that want the Jesus of wisdom, we are willing to pay attention to right theology. We want the wisdom of God. But we don't think that he still intervenes in the affairs of men today. You don't have Christianity. You have what I would call Christianized deism. Yes, I said it. Deism. I need to throw those kind of words out because some people are paying for my schooling. They need to know that their money is not wasted. You know what I'm saying? But again, deism. Can you show the definition of deism? All right. This is the belief in the existence of God and that he has created the world to run on natural laws without a need for his intervention. So these people are willing to say, oh, God exists. Oh, we have the right knowledge of God. But they do not expect him to intervene in their affairs. But even on the other camp, those of them that simply want the Jesus of us, that simply want the Jesus of power, it's basically not Christianity. You want him to intervene. You want him to cause breakthrough. And that's all you want. It's basically African traditional religion. Remember those Yoruba movies that we usually, go, that we usually watch, if you watch them? All right? Um, what happens is you simply go and sacrifice so that the deity can actually do something about the situation. But guess what doesn't happen? It doesn't need to confront your sin. So most of the time, what you have is somebody that wants power, but is still willing to continue to be a terrible boss. Somebody that wants intervention, that wants promotion, but is still an horrible employee. Somebody that wants divine breakthrough, but is still very, very mean to his spouse. The Bible said in 1 Peter chapter 3, that maybe the reason why your prayers are not being answered is because you're actually rude to your spouse. So most of the time, what we have is um, people that want Jesus of power, people that want the Jesus of um, wisdom. And the question is, can it big deal? What's the big deal? Why is this so important? Because... Um, if I have the Jesus of wisdom, eh, maybe I don't need him to intervene in any particular thing. And I know about him, so we're all good. Or if I have the Jesus of power, maybe I don't need theology so much. I, I just need to, at least he's, he's promoting me, he's causing breakthrough. If that is the biggest issue, we shouldn't be talking about this at all. But I believe the issue is deeper than that. I believe the issue is actually very, very dangerous. Why? When you have formed your own religion, you will also make up your own God. And when you make up your own God, you will make up your own laws. 
So every God maker is a lawmaker. And every lawmaker is a what? You're a lawbreaker. Because by the time you make certain laws, you also have to break other laws that you've not made up for yourself. And this is the greatest issue. This is the greatest threat that you are training your own mind to read the word of God and build a Jesus that conforms with your own background, that conforms with your own limited understanding, that conforms with your own limited mind. That is the greatest issue. You are making up a God for yourself. You are, in short, putting yourself in a position of God. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve decided that they were going to be the one to decide between what is right and what is wrong. They wanted to take the place of God. What did the Bible say? The Bible said God banished them from his presence. Hell is banishment from God's presence. Hell is basically full of God makers. People who say to God every single day, not your will, but let my own will be done. And you might be a non-Christian here and you've probably made up your own laws for yourself. You're a lot to yourself. Nobody can tell you what to do. I believe that because of the love of Jesus, he's still willing to interrupt you and he's even interrupting you right now. If only you will respond to him, you can actually get up from your, from your, from your bed of gifts, from your bed of pain, and actually experience true life. And that will lead to the third point. Um, is will the greatest interruption? Is will the greatest interruption? Like I've been describing since... Um, a situation where you have somebody that is willing to be interrupted every single time and is never willing to interrupt. Um, it's quite shallow. You know love right there is shallow. It, do, it doesn't sound so nice because the person is always willing to sacrifice for you but never demanding anything in return. Kind of reminds me of coming to America. Do you remember that movie? Or in case you, you don't. But anyways, I don't have any other analogy. <laughs> in coming to America, Prince Hakim um, meets this princess who is constantly willing to be interrupted because of him. And so he says, Princess, what do you like? She says, Anything you like. He says, Okay, I get, I get. What, what music do you enjoy? He says, Anything you want to listen to. She was constantly willing to be interrupted because of him, but there was something that was almost irritating. Prince, I can't even marry him. I mean, that says, that, that says it all. Right, marry her rather. That says everything. She was willing to be interrupted. And we understand that those kind of loves are shallow. But also, if you have a love where somebody is constantly willing to interrupt you and is never willing to be interrupted, that's what you call a toxic relationship. You understand what I mean? Because they are constantly demanding that you give of yourself, but they are not willing to give in return. So, perfect love will be a perfect synergy, will be a combination of these two. A combination of a willingness to be interrupted and a willingness to interrupt. And we find that in the text with the friends of this man. The Bible said they brought this man to meet Jesus. They had already interrupted their lives because of him. Maybe they had other things to do. Maybe they had a family they were supposed to pay attention to. Maybe they had a job that they needed to pay attention to. No, but they interrupted their own lives just so that this man can get healing. And so they brought him to the Palestinian house. Can you just project the Palestinian house? So you could imagine that Jesus was teaching inside the house and there were crowds of people all around and they couldn't get this man to meet Jesus. And so what they decided to do was climb the ladder. So they made up their mind. They have reasoned that if healing is going to come to our friend, if um, salvation or deliverance is going to come to our friend, we need to get to a point where we are being lifted up above the crowd to an elevation point. Amen. And then eventually they go to that elevation point and then they decide to do what? They had to let him down through the roof. Almost as if the roof was open. But like we discussed earlier, the roof wasn't open. 
the roof was closed. And so what they needed to do was actually dig through the roof. Dig through the tiles. And so again, they would have reasoned that, oh, if healing, if healing is going to come to our friend, there needs to be a movement lifting up up to the elevation point and a breaking of the tiles. Now, the word tiles there is not referring to the tiles we have in our houses. The word tiles there is the Greek word keramos. It means clay. It means made from the earth. So again, if anything is going to happen to their friend, there needs to be an elevation to an elevated point and a breaking of something that has been made from the earth. In Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says concerning the body of man that God formed man out of the earth, out of the dust. I believe this is pointing to something profound. That, 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 that they have decided that, see, that if anything is going to come to him, we're going to get to the elevation point and a body will need to be broken. In John chapter 3, the Bible says, Jesus said, he said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. Upon the cross of Calvary, Jesus was lifted up to that elevation point. And where the friends broke tiles, Jesus broke his body so that healing can come to me and you. The Lord of the Rings is, in my own opinion, probably the greatest movie of all time. And um, if you disagree, the door is right there. <laughs> and um, I don't know, if, in case you've not watched, I'm going to say the story a little bit so you can understand what I'm, what I'm trying, where I'm driving and what I'm trying to say. But I don't know if you've ever thought, ever thought about it. There are a lot of heroes in Lord of the Rings trilogy. Maybe you feel like the hero of the story is Legolas. Full of grace, white hair, fine boy, Orlando Bloom. He was just with the arrows and just shooting everyone like superstar. Or maybe you think the hero of the story is Gandalf the Grey. Wise, great Gandalf. Where the demons were about to eat up his friends, he stands and he says, you shall not pass. And he breaks the bridge that he was on. And he falls along, along with the demon just so to save his friends. Or maybe you think the hero is Aragorn, the true king. Let me see now. That was all they said about the guy. The guy was not special anyway. <laughs> or maybe it's Frodo, the ring bearer, who carried the burden of the ring and that's nice I, but I disagree with all of them I, I strongly believe that the hero of the Lord of the Ring is actually Samwise Gamji that's Sam gentle Sam meek and mild this guy looks like he wants to be cuddled <laughs> but I believe he's the, greater, he's the greatest hero in this story so I'm going to just say the story to be just a quick summary now just for the sake of this conversation um, the whole earth was in danger because um, a particular evil king wanted to destroy everybody, wanted to control everybody, and he had a ring of power. So they decided that if they can destroy that ring, then the, the, the evil king will have no power anymore. But only one person could carry the burden of the ring. Only one person could carry that ring on his own. And so Frodo was chosen. But Frodo was Sam's friend. And so Frodo was going to set out on this journey, but just before he, he went on that journey, Sam had just gotten married to this beautiful lady here. So if Sam is going to follow Frodo, he will need to leave his beloved so he can actually follow Frodo. It got to a point, Frodo actually told him not to come. Frodo said, no, don't interrupt your life because of me. Don't stop yourself from loving this woman. Don't follow me. Frodo actually went on a particular river and Sam could not swim. Swam, Sam jumped into that river still trying to follow Frodo. So Sam left his beloved, but he also left his home. 
the Shire. I don't even show that picture. Perfect place. So Sam left the perfect person and left the perfect place just so he could follow somebody that was still saying, I don't need you. He got to a point, Sam actually drowned. While he was still trying to pursue Frodo. This is silly. This is reckless love. This is ridiculous. This is crazy. But Sam followed. Every time Frodo saying, don't follow me. Don't interrupt your life because of me. He followed. I was drowning. He got saved. And eventually Frodo, as the story continues, meets this beast called Smigo. Who basically wanted to kill Frodo? Sam saw through that deceit, and every single time Sam warned him, This guy is out to get you. This guy is out to get you. Frodo constantly ignored him. But guess what? In every picture where you find Frodo and Smigo, there's somebody behind Sam, still there, looking after Frodo, willing to interrupt his life simply because he loved. Eventually, Frodo eventually sends Sam away and decides to go on the journey on his own and he meets a great spider called Shiloh. And the spider captures Frodo. He's about to eat him. Ties him up in a web. But guess who still came back running even after he was sent away? It was still Sam. Sam came with a sword and a light and he actually defeated... Well, he didn't really defeat spider. I just chased spider away. But he saved his friend! That friend who was constantly saying, I do not need you, go away. That, that friend that constantly was going to believe the lies of the evil one and just push him away, he still kept on chasing. After Frodo, they reconciled and they got to the mountain of Mordor where Frodo was supposed to destroy that ring. He was going to the mountain of lava and you know, fire falling from the sky, and they were both exhausted. They were thirsty. There was nothing any of them could do. Frodo falls to the ground and in the story, Sam carries Frodo right there. He just holds him there with tears in his eyes. Was saying to Frodo, he said, do you remember home? Frodo was saying, this ring is too heavy for me to carry. I cannot carry it anymore. He said, listen, do you remember home? Do you remember the shower? He said, the spring will still come again. And in a moment that I believe one of the greatest pictures of true friendship ever written, Sam, with tears in his eyes, wait, looks at Frodo and he says, I might not be able to carry your ring, but I can carry you. The four friends made up their mind and said, we might not be able to carry your sickness, but we can carry you. We might not be able to carry your sin, but we can carry you. Jesus is the greater Samwise Gamji. Jesus is the greater true friend who left his beloved above, who left the perfect place and came to earth. And when we kept on running away from him, he kept on chasing after us. When we kept on running into trouble, he kept on delivering us. And where Sam or the friends said, we might not be able to carry your burden, but we can carry you. Jesus comes and says, I can carry you and I can carry your burden as well. And upon the cross of Calvary, Jesus carries us, carries our sins, carries our problems, carries our depressions, carries our pains, carries our illnesses, carries our bankruptcies, carries every single thing that is a result of our own sin, carries it upon himself and says, I am willing to be interrupted because of you. Why? Why, why, why would, why would you bother? with foolish people like me and you. 
that's he going to make those mistakes again? Why? Simple answer, just get back to the answer I provided at the beginning. He loves. He loves. Even in your sin, He loves you. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos.